Hi everybody, my name is Joyce and I am an alcoholic. Hi Joyce. And it's by God's grace and fellowship and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have not had a drink since November 16, 1982. And I am truly grateful for that. Um, I was sitting up here watching people, you know. I am a now town speaker, but I, I attend meetings here in Huntingburg. And uh, Thursday Night Hunters Group is my home group. And uh, I know quite a few people here, and I call you friends. And uh, as I was sitting here watching you, I was thinking about my friends in Texas. I sobered up in Austin, Texas. And oh, eight or nine years ago, when I was invited to speak at a conference, and uh, it was out of town, and I, I wasn't going to know anybody. So I got my little support group together, my friends, and, and we made this road trip. And uh, it was just like today, I was sitting up here at the speaker's table, and, just two or three minutes before the uh, meeting was supposed to start, the uh, leader of the pack came up to the table, and I thought he was going to give me words of wisdom and you know help me calm my nerves. But he had a coffee can, he put it down behind the podium, and it wasn't one of them little coffee cans; it was one of them big mouth coffee cans. And I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "That's so when you pee your pants, you won't ruin the carpet." <laughs> And uh, it's about the way I feel, but <laughs> I believe that uh, if I follow the directions in the big book, if I tell in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like today, and if I can do that with a little bit of humility, I, I believe I'll be okay, and the carpet will be okay. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I want to thank Michelle and the committee for inviting me here to speak. It, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Thank you. And uh, I want to thank Terry for being my host. She, she's been a wonder. And it, it's been good getting to know her. And uh, uh, I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I am number 12 in the family of 17 children. And uh, we are not Catholic. <laughs> we, we just didn't have a TV. <laughs> but, uh, but my mother and father are what I consider to be alcoholic. Uh, I don't really know. That, that just explains to me the drinking and some of the insanity that went on in that home. I was physically and sexually abused by my father and two of my brothers. I grew up angry, confused you know, uh, scared and ashamed, and, uh, and that's the way it was. Um, my father gave me my first drink when I was somewhere around the age of five, and he gave it to me to take away some of the pain he had just caused me, and I hated him. I hated him with every breath I took. He committed suicide when I was eight years old, and for the next 20-some years, that was the best day of my life he was on. You know, I didn't have to talk to him. I didn't have to listen to him. I didn't have to touch him, and I didn't have And by the time I was 10 years old, if you'd asked me anything about him, I would have said, I don't know, I don't remember him. He was gone from my life and my mind. And, uh, <clears throat> things changed after my father died. Uh, my mother was born and raised in French Lick, and her family helped us get a place down there, and we moved to French Lick. Uh, <clears throat> I do have 10 older brothers. Uh, they are directly older than me. They was in their uh, early teens, late 20s at that time. And uh, when my dad was alive, we towed the line. 
we knew exactly what was going to happen if we messed up. And uh, my brothers took over the discipline in the home. And depending on who was the oldest at home at the time was the discipline we got. You know, things became chaotic. Uh, sometimes we get laughed at, sometimes it get ignored, and sometimes we get to beat out of us. You know, we just, we didn't know what was going to happen on any certain day. And uh, the drinking changed in our home. Um, when my dad was alive, uh, you know, I remember him and mom drinking, but that was the only ones. And uh, my brothers was taking my mother to uh, town to buy the groceries and the booze, and uh, they started buying the booze. And, and they started inviting their friends over to our house on the weekends, and their friends started inviting their friends. And we started having a lot of wild parties at my house on the weekends, you know, any given Friday or Saturday night. There could, there could be anywhere from five to 75 people at our house, and the booze just flowed, you know. It was just a normal part of life. We uh, worked hard during the week, but we drank hard on the weekends. And uh, it was a time in my life that oh, I was going to church. The six little ones had to go to church. Uh, we weren't physically made, but we knew it was expected. And uh, the minister <clears throat> and his wife came to get us, and we had to step over the drunks to get there. And then when we, when we got to church, there was people that had been at our house the night before. And I saw them pointing their fingers at me, saying what a bad home life I'd come from. And I swore I'd never be a hypocrite. And uh, while I was in that church, I heard about a kind and loving God. I really did. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't believe that any kind and loving God would ever leave an eight-year-old child in a home like that. And I wanted no part of that God. And I didn't have, you know, I didn't even do the 911 calls when I was little. My attitude was if I got myself in trouble, I could get myself out or I could suffer the consequences. And uh, that was my basic attitude growing up. My first drunk that I, you know, I, I know I did some drinking in those years, you know, the little sips, you know, people leave laying around. And, and uh, my sister tells me about a case of beer we stole and we made it last all week. And, and I know my mother complains about the water in her vodka bottle and I'm sure I did that. But, uh, <clears throat> My first drunk that I remember and what I know that alcohol could do for me was when I was 16 years old. And my, my oldest brother was giving me screwdrivers in the living room while everybody else was in the dining room. And uh, I had three drinks that I remember and I went into a blackout. Most of my drinking is blackout drinking. And uh, I can't tell you a whole lot about what I did when I drank because I went into a blackout. I heard a bunch of rumors, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I was so proud that I, you know, the next day I woke up and I could tell my mother that I only had three drinks that I remember. I didn't have to lie about my drinking. But uh, I woke up that next morning and I couldn't remember anything. My sisters told me what I had said and what I had done, and I had not been very nice to my brother. And uh, I knew I was going to get the crap beat out of me that day. I did what I did back then. I put on that little suit of armor, you know, don't let anybody know you're afraid. And I went down the stairs. And about halfway down, they were sitting around the kitchen table, and they was laughing. And they was laughing about me, you know. Did you, see, did you see what Joyce did to me last night? Did you hear what Joyce did to me last night? And for the first time in my life, I was the center of attention in that family. And that felt real good. And, uh, but I also realized that I could do anything I wanted to do. As long as I was drunk, I wouldn't have to pay the consequences. But the best part of that thing was the blackout. I knew I was fully functional for an eight-hour period, and I didn't have to remember what happened last night. 
I didn't have to forget it. I didn't have to repress it either. And that was the reason I drink, you know, I, I drink to forget. I didn't do a whole lot of drinking between then and graduation, you know, I graduated high school because my goal in life was to get the hell out of French Lick, you know. If I could get away from my family and away from French Lick, I'd be okay. And uh, it took me a while after graduation to talk my mother into letting me join the military. But uh, I did, I joined the United States Air Force. And that's a pretty good profession for an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, especially a growing one like I was. And, uh, and I got away from home, I got away from my brothers. And uh, I was single and I was footloose and fancy free. And I started doing a lot of partying. In the military, we partied about everything, you know. We partied for promotions and demotions. We partied when people came on base. We partied when people left base. And I started to do a lot of partying. I started to do a lot of drinking. And uh, six months in the military, I was stationed in Omaha, Nebraska. And I was sitting on my bunk on a bright and early Sunday morning. With a beer in my hand, I popped the top. And as soon as I heard that sound, I said, oh, my God. If I drink this beer this early in the morning, I will be in And uh, I poured that beer down the drain because I, and you know, I was 19 years old and I tried, and that's when I started to control my drinking. I never ever controlled how much I drank. I knew when I took that first drink, I was going to get drunk. That's what I drank for. But I started to control when and where I drank. You know, I never drank two days in a row. I never drank in the morning. I never drank when I was alone. And uh, several d years after I got sober, I realized I missed out on a lot of good drinking. <laughs> I got here anyway. But uh, uh, I got stationed overseas in England, and uh, I met a gentleman over there one drunk night, and uh, we decided to get married. <laughs> and uh, before we got married, we did date a little bit. Uh, I told him about my... Uh, drinking home life and I told him about the abuse and I told him it was over, it's done, we ain't going to talk about it no more. But I knew he was going to be going home to meet my family so I did want him to know why I didn't talk to my brothers. But, um, but we got married, you know, he said he'd love me and he would protect me and take care of me and I really believed that. And uh, we got married and uh, right away life, life wasn't real good. But uh, we both got stationed in Austin, Texas and uh, started to make a home for ourselves, and uh, I don't know, just life wasn't real good. We, we argued a lot. We seemed to argue and fight a lot, and, and it wasn't what I thought a marriage should be. And uh, in uh, 1975, my oldest brother passed away, and he passed away from cirrhosis of the liver. He was 37 years old. He had been through three treatment centers. He'd been to 1,000 AA meetings, and he died drunk in his own home. And that really affected me because I, I know about his drinking, I really, and, and I drank pretty much. Um, shortly after that, uh, he, uh, we, we call him our, my rich brother because he left us a little bit of money. And I was in the frame of mind, if you do something good when you're sober, it makes up for the bad things when you're drunk. And uh, I wanted to give part of this money away, and I wanted to give it away to the to the disease that killed him, and, and I was going to give it to Alcoholics Anonymous. He, you know, he is the reason I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, when he was drinking, I, we sit around tables and laugh about those damned old meetings he had to go to. 
And uh, he brought literature home, and, and that's how I knew not to drink in the mornings and not to drink alone. You know, that, that's how I knew those things. And, uh, but uh, I called up Alcoholics Anonymous here in Austin, Texas. I was going to donate some money, and uh, they told me they was fully self-supporting, that they didn't take outside contributions. So uh, I did the next best thing. I threw a party in his honor. <laughs> and, uh, and we had a good time for him. And, uh, but uh, shortly after that, you know, it might have been that same party, uh, friends of my husband came to visit us on a Sunday morning. And, and my husband is pretty much from a normal family. Uh, I don't know how that happened with me, but, but I loved and respected his family. They treated me like a good person, you know. And, uh, and they didn't drink. They, they could come home from work and, and have one little drink and, and go on about their business. They, they didn't drink. And, uh, but these friends came to our house on a Sunday morning, and I answered the door. And my, my hair's a mess, and my house robe's on crooked. And the balloons are in the floor, and the crepe paper's hanging off. And uh, for the first time in my life, I was embarrassed about my drink. And uh, I looked at my husband, and I saw the hurt and embarrassment in his eyes. And I knew that my drinking affected us. We entertained them for the day. And that evening we sat down and we had a family meeting about why life wasn't going the way it Two-bedroom home, the two-car garage, and the two And we tried to figure out why we were fighting. And it was decided in this little chit-chat that uh, maybe it was because of our drinking, you know. If one of us would quit drinking, we wouldn't fight so much. And somehow, I decided I wouldn't drink anymore. And I don't know why I decided that, because he didn't drink. <laughs> he, he could have two beers and go home. I never understood that, but that was really part of the problem. If he'd just stayed, I'd have went home with him. <laughs> but, <laughs> got it. But... But, but he didn't drink that much, but for some reason we decided that I, wouldn't, I would quit drinking, and I believe I did that to prove to him that I was not alcoholic. And, uh, and I didn't drink with, with the recent death of my brother and my friends coming over. And within two weeks of that decision, I found out I was pregnant with a little boy named Joey. Those things helped me not to drink. And uh, I spent almost three years not drinking, you know. And, uh, Life was just kind of normal. When Joey was born, all my time and energy went into raising him. I wanted his childhood to be different than mine. And uh, all my time and energy went into raising him. Somewhere, you know, because I am alcoholic and because I have no defense against that first drink, I found myself sitting with a beer in my hand. And I made the statement, it's been almost three years, and I downed it, you know. And... Uh, it went downhill from there. Uh, and uh, we, we started fighting again. And, and I knew by then that, you know, we fought when I drank. Uh, we were still in the military, but we had a small part-time business on the side, and he was going out of town a lot. So I'd wait for him to go out of town on a Friday night, and I'd get an all-night babysitter for Joe. And I'd be out again. I'd be footloose and fancy free, and, uh, and I drank a lot. And the only problem is that he found out about 95% of the stuff I was doing, and we fought anyway. And uh, in October 1981, we had a party at, a, at my house, and it got a little nuts. And uh, 
he did not approve of the men I brought home that night, and uh, we ended up in a knockdown drag out fight. The uh, guests started leaving out the front door, and we was yelling and screaming. And the next morning I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I had a bruise on my neck where he had tried to, and he had a broken hand because I had died. And I looked at that bruise on my neck and I remembered all the violence of the past. And I swore I would never ever live again. And I asked him to leave, I said I can. And he packed his bags and as he was going out the door, my very next thought, and I knew I was breaking up that marriage because of the drink that I sat down and I called up Alcoholics Anonymous there and all. They directed me to a meeting that night, and, I went. and a little lady there met me at the door and stuck out her hand and introduced herself, and I'm a good little soldier. I gave her my name, rank, and serial number, and uh, she said, there's two things, you know, I don't have to give my last name, and I don't have to talk if I don't want to, and that was a saving grace for me because I had nothing to say, and uh, she did get out of me that I drank on weekends. She thought maybe I was a periodic alcoholic. I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> if, I, if I had to be one, I didn't want to be one every day. <laughs> but I went to a couple of meetings in a two-week time frame. I went to maybe four or five meetings. And I thought, you know, I, I did feel better. I thought maybe I could put that marriage back together, and uh, I invited him back to live with me. And when I did that, I knew that he was getting ready to go to Colorado for a nine-month school up in Colorado. And I can live with anybody if they're in Colorado. And I'm in Texas. It wasn't going to be no problem. But it was going to be six weeks before he went. And those were a miserable, miserable six weeks, I remember. I wanted to drink during those six weeks, and I had promised him I wouldn't. But we made it through those six weeks, and he left day after Christmas. And I still had a week of the Christmas season left. And I went out and I drank every night, and uh, it was still the season I could do that. And, uh, <laughs> but I knew with him being out of town that I was going to be going out a lot more. I didn't really want to drink, I just wanted to be going out. And uh, I got this theory in my mind that uh, if I really thought I could dance, if I really had confidence in my dancing abilities, I could be out there on the dance floor and I wouldn't be back there at the table again. So I took dancing lessons. And uh, at the end of dancing lessons, we had a par party. Prove that theory wrong. <laughs> and uh, so my next step in controlling it was uh, if I could just stay out of the bars. If I could just stay out of the bars, I wouldn't drink so much. So I joined a softball team. <laughs> Those idiots drink whether you win, lose, or draw. <laughs> we was having practice four nights a week and a game one night a week, and I started drinking every night. But I wasn't getting drunk, so I was okay. Um, it was the uh, end of March, early April of that year, 1982, and uh, I had come home from one of those baseball things, and I'd only had, you know, I really don't know how much I'd had. I'd had four or five beers, not much. I was, I was still with it, and uh, I couldn't find an all-night babysitter for Joey that often, and I had Joey with me, and I was going to get him ready for bed, and I was giving him a bath and the thought of sexual abuse went through my head, and I knew I was gonna do it then. I, I call it my moment of truth, you know, because in that moment I knew that if I continued to drink, that I would eventually do that. And I also knew in that very same moment that I could not, nor did I want to quit drinking. The, the, big, the big book puts a word to it, incomprehensible demoralization. 
I was about to do the thing I hated the most to probably the only person I ever really loved at that time. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I did somehow go to sleep that night, and uh, I woke up the next morning with the solution. I was going to send Joey to live with his father. And, um, but to do that, I had to tell my husband what had happened. And uh, he said if we both came up there to Colorado and lived, that he could. And uh, I didn't have any other answer, so I said, but being in the military, if you, if you have to have a transfer real quick, you have to go through the chaplain. And uh, he flew into Austin, and we went over to see the chaplain. And we sat there with the chaplain, and we BS for about 30 minutes. And, and somewhere in there, my husband said, if, if I'm in Colorado, he could help me with my drinking problem. <coughs> and the chaplain said that maybe social action. And social actions in the military is our drug and alcohol outpatient. And, uh, but what I heard was maybe somebody could uh, He We didn't get the transfer. He went back to Colorado, but I did go to social act. And uh, I went over there, and they did their evaluation. They, they said I was alcoholic anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they said they could help me if I do a couple of things. You know, I had to come over and see them once a week, and I had to start going to AA meetings. And I didn't think that was any problem. I'd go there, I'd get out of work once a week. That's no big deal. And I could go to AA. I didn't have to talk there if I didn't want to. And if that was all that was required of me, I could do it. And uh, I started doing that. I went to the base meeting that night. There was three people there. <laughs> Try going for an hour with three people and not talk. <laughs> it wasn't easy. <laughs> but... Uh, and the next day, my counselor at Social Actions called me up. There was a civilian there on base that went to Alcoholics Anonymous, and, all, and uh, he wanted me to get connected with her. And I called her up, and, and she took me to a meeting. And uh, I started going to meetings, the base meetings, the Austin meetings. I asked that lady to be my sponsor. But that is all I was doing. I was just going to meetings. But, uh, you know, I, I really did feel better. Uh, sometime in... I, and I was staying sober, but sometime in June or July of that year, my sisters called me up there in French Lick, and I, my 14-year-old niece had just been removed from her home to assist, and they wanted me to come back and testify against the cycle to end, and I knew it was the right thing to do. You know, I was still scared of my brother, and I hadn't told anybody about You know, I, I knew I couldn't do it. And I did what I, you know, what I did in I, when I got in those dilemmas, I drank, you know. And it started a period of time when I was drinking and going to meetings. And uh, that, that is no fun. No fun at all. And uh, I would drink and then go to the meetings during the week and then drink on the weekends. And, and part of my reason for going back to those meetings was that base meeting. We didn't have a place to keep our things, you know. So we kept everything in a briefcase. We had our big book and our basket and the chips and everything in a briefcase. And one of the first weeks I was there, this gentleman with eight years sobriety, he asked me if I could take that briefcase home and bring it back the next week. I carried that briefcase for a year and a half. <laughs> but, but during that period of time when I was drinking and going to meetings, I had that briefcase there by the door. I never saw it when I was going out, but I always saw it when I came back in. Damn, I can't drink today. I gotta go to that meeting. So you know, but but it did keep me coming back. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd have, if I would have come back. And but it kept me coming back. And it was and, uh, 
in early November 1982, my uh, counselor at Social Actions knew I wasn't staying sober. My sponsor knew I wasn't staying sober. My supervisor knew I was sober. And they did what they called an evaluation. They could do that in the military. And uh, I knew my job was on the line because they all got together and evaluated me. And, and I did the only thing I could do to save my job was I volunteered for a treatment program. And, uh, and I didn't want to go. You know, my brother had been through three treatments and he died drunk. And I knew it was the first of many. I didn't know how many I had to go through, but I just knew I was gonna die drunk. But I did volunteer to go. I, uh, I threw one last party before I went to treatment, you know, just in case they cured me. <laughs> and uh, I uh, made the finger sandwiches and I blew up the balloons and I bought all the booze and I invited everybody I knew and nobody came. I sat there on a Monday night all by myself drinking my vodka, sitting, hopeless and helpless and no place to go. And, uh, and that was my last drink. And uh, I went down to that treatment center on a Wednesday morning and I was scared to death. Um, I knew they believed in therapy. You know, we had group therapy and individual therapy, occupational therapy, recreational therapy. <laughs> I knew they believed in that. <clears throat> I also knew that they believed it was important for me to talk about my past, and I did not want to do that. I did not think I could do that. I never told anybody anything. And uh, that first day in group therapy, they got my roommate on the hot seat, and they, they asked her some really personal questions. And I knew I could not do that. And uh, I started thinking, you know, what am I going to And uh, I got this game plan together. If, if I asked to see the psychiatrist, you know, if they thought I was talking about my past with the psychologist, then they would leave me alone in group. And, and that was my game. And uh, it turned out that it was God's game because it's what worked for me. You know, the alcoholism didn't cause the abuse, but they was twisted. And I, uh, one of the very first sessions in a, with the psychologist, I didn't talk to her. She said in a 60-minute session, I said, I don't know, 57 times. <laughs> so I didn't talk, but she started identifying my feelings. She started putting words to the way I And somehow I knew that she understood. But for the first time in my life, I knew. And it, it, it did form a bond. And uh, I was able to go and see her and talk to her. And then in group, I could learn about alcoholism. And I learned it was a disease, you know. It ain't about me being a bad person. I have a disease. And I learned through, with this program, it was an AA, I learned through this program, I can take responsibility for that disease. And I got a little bit of hope that maybe I didn't have to, you know, somewhere in that treatment center, I, and maybe I didn't have to die. They let me out of that treatment center on December the 17th, <laughs> right at the Christmas season. But I still had that same civilian lady there on base that was my spawn. And I had that other couple that lived on base just two blocks from me. He was at AA and she was Al-Anon. And for that Christmas season, I, you know, I did everything they did. They, their kids babysit it for Joey while I went to meetings. I went to activities with them. She didn't believe me. I knew my mother had changed. <clears throat> And Monday morning I woke up, I'm both. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, in the big book it tells 
about a year after they graduated. Sometime in 19, I was unemployed and I was, and I realized that I had not, you know, through all those years to the end. I didn't hate him anymore. I wanted to reconnect with him. Somewhere in the end of that, I'm gone. But uh, <clears throat> after I left, you know, I did move back in. I, I lived there by myself. And it's, when I want chaos, I go, but me and my other two sisters, and, and we get together to celebrate. You know, I learned in this program that. Awesome. Oh, 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 o